from the inner city Wellington suburb of Newtown, the scene of the worst fire in the country in decades. Some residents remain unaccounted for after a large fire in a 92-room hostel in Wellington overnight. Fire and emergency received a phone call at 25 past midnight alerting them to the fire at Loafer's Lodge. A worst nightmare incident with multiple deaths already confirmed. We were certainly hoping that everyone could have been evacuated safely. We have since found out that is not the case um, and uh, I'm, I'm devastated. Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail. What happened at Loafers Lodge has put renewed focus on the state of our building and fire regulations when it comes to higher density housing. Our spotlight is now on building rules following that fatal Newtown fire. The question remains, why didn't the Wellington Loafers Lodge have a sprinkler system? The Housing Minister is now investigating whether building regulations for high density accommodation are fit for purpose. In the push to get more of us living in apartments and townhouses, have we dropped the ball when it comes to these important safety rules? Moves to bring in stronger fire protection rules for high-density infill housing have been stymied. A year of work went into toughening up the rules to slow down the spread of fire in townhouses and other new types of intensive housing, but these were withdrawn just days before the fatal Loafers Lodge fire. What lessons can we learn from this? And as more and more people live closer together in our cities, how can we make sure they're kept safe? RNZ's Phil Pennington has been looking into the state of our building and fire regulations. When it comes to Loafers Lodge, he says it met all the legal requirements. It had a current compliance tick-off from the council that's under what's called a building warrant of fitness, and that was ticked off in February this year. That's where they check the systems like your alarms and your doors and they get uh, independent qualified people to do that. What kind of fire protections did it have in place? So it had 13 different safety systems. There's a total of 16 you can have. I mean the crucial thing it didn't have was sprinklers but there's no legal requirement for a building like that to have sprinklers and that's where the focus has gone and there's been surprise expressed most buildings under 10 storeys don't need sprinklers and especially if they've got two stairwells so it had alarms but there's questions whether they went off and there's conflicting accounts whether they went off. Were there smoke alarms? Yep they were going off we couldn't hear them and um, they went off 20 minutes before and then it went off again. I just I sat there for about five minutes and then I put my shoes on <laughs> I got my wallet together and I thought, oh, maybe I should leave, <laughs> basically. So the fire alarms didn't sound at all? No. It had both um, smoke alarms that detect smoke and it had heat detection alarms. So the, the fire at this building, it met all the requirements. Does it show that there are gaps in our regulations when it comes to higher density housing? Everyone who's involved in this close to it knows there are gaps. The councils uh, have been pushing the Ministry, the Building Regulator, MB, to close some of those gaps. There's all the time there's things going to the Ministry for what's called a determination and saying, hey, the council won't let us do renovations in our school dormitory because they're requiring a sprinkler and we don't want to put it in a sprinkler. And then the Ministry is like the god on high and issues a ruling on that. That's happening all the time because these things, New Zealand has a performance-based building system. So while you have these minimums that are set in the code, if you decide to build outside the code, you can prove, if you can prove that it's up to it, then you'll get a consent. That's 
the case usually with taller buildings. They don't um, come under the regular code. They have to individually be fire engineered to be passed. But when you're talking more regular housing and mid-rise buildings, if they want to put them under the code and build very straightforwardly without extra costs, then they have to meet these minimum standards. What we see, though, is that, and this gets us to the explosion in infill housing, you know, a lot of terrace housing going up, a lot of townhouses, New Zealand houses are getting closer together and higher up. Kevin Frank, who's a building researcher at Brands, we'll actually hear from Kevin a bit later in the podcast. He's from Canada. He says this has happened for 20 years in Canada, and one effect has been that when a house catches fire, often the fire spreads to the neighbouring houses because they're so close to it or joined to it. That's happening there a lot. So he's saying you know, New Zealand should take a lesson from that. And we have, because what happened was that the ministry decided we need to actually improve fire protection for homes between one and three storeys. Yeah, well, that's something that you came up with in your reporting this week. A government proposal to update fire safety regulations. These were dropped just days before this fatal Loafers Lodge fire. The Ministry of Business and Innovation was considering tightening the rules to slow down the spread of fire in townhouses and terrace houses and other intensive housing types. But industry leaders couldn't agree on how to go about it. So there were some government moves to bring in stronger protection and they didn't really go anywhere, did they? That's right. To these gaps that you mentioned before, yeah, essentially they don't cover the explosion and building of closer together homes and that's why MB last year in May went out to the industry to say, what are we going to do about this? We need to change. And they proposed this change. So what happens is that the government goes, we want to intensify housing to uh, meet the housing crisis. And they passed that all under urgency, right? So the floodgates were opened, but it seems as though they didn't really check downstream what was going on in terms of fire. We still have to determine how much official advice there was about fire, but what I'm hearing is that there wasn't a lot. So it's Belatedly, the ministry goes, wow, we, we need to actually take account of all these houses that are going to be closer together. And, and that's in 13 major centres. It's not just Auckland or Wellington. It's Tauranga too, Hamilton, etc., Christchurch, yeah, and Queenstown. So, yeah, they tried to make these changes. Yep. And then what was the feedback that they got? So they try to make these changes. And um, key ones are they want to increase the how long a wall will last between properties from 30 minutes to 60 minutes. They want to um, uh, increase what's called fire stopping. That's like things like making sure when you put a hole in a wall, you put the right sealant around it. That doesn't sound important, but it's really important because if the fire burns through a plug, the plastic, it'll get in the wall and then set fire to the timber frame, whereas the plasterboard is more fire resistant. They've dropped that thing about the walls. They've dropped the thing about the fire stopping. And while having dropped that, that also means they can't change they were trying to bring different properties into this group, including uh, townhouses. Why didn't they go ahead? Why did these changes not go ahead? The ministry totally expected that they were going to get this done in May this month, right? And then they were going to go, yep, we're going to do this. And then in November, they would start actually bringing them in and they'd have a year to bring them in. So in other words, by November 2024, the regulations would have caught up with the intensification of housing. So the regulations, the fire protection rules are behind They've been playing catch-up, and they were imagining they would catch up by November 2024, and that from that point on, what was built from then on would have these stronger rules. But they've hit this hurdle because industry went, we don't like the 
extra costs of that and whether it will actually work. So bang for buck. And you can see here, for instance, MB was saying, a stronger wall is going to cost about 40% more. So this is a jib wall on the external side of the house. 40%, so a $1,000 wall is going to cost $1,400 instead. Now that don't, might not sound huge, but it wouldn't be the only cost. That was just one example. But it's enough for the industry and remembering that fire engineers argue about the sort of stuff all the time, there were enough voices going, hang on, one, we don't know if it will work, and it's definitely going to push up costs, and this is at a time of high inflation and a time of housing crisis when people can't afford housing, and that's been enough to derail it, and MB on May the 4th said, right, we're withdrawing that. So they were playing catch-up, now they're playing worse catch-up. Our cities have always been uh, sprawling cities, you know, and our towns too, and we just can't go on like that. That's Phil Mackay, Senior Lecturer of Architecture and Planning at Auckland University. He's talking about why we have to have higher density housing in our cities. We're just eating up arable land now, we're going into uh, environmentally sensitive land, and we're building in places uh, where people haven't built before because they flood or they... We get landslips. So we've had to build upwards instead? Absolutely. And um, that's been a trend over the last couple of decades. But with this current government, um, they are really pushing it even further. And it is part of uh, adapting to climate change. It, well, describe what we're seeing in the cities. Like what changes in the, yeah, if you walk down the street, what are you seeing differently? You are starting to see more five, six story apartment buildings popping up on main arteries in Auckland, Great North Road. But all, all over the place. And the idea here is that uh, people people can live in apartments close to public transport routes, main arteries, that sort of thing, or places where they can um, pick up a scooter or cycle to work or even walk or something like that. In the suburbs, we're starting to see more of a kind of a townhouse-style development everywhere. A lot of new developments tend to be two-storey townhouses, even three-storey townhouses, rather than the traditional one-storey house surrounded by um, lawn. So to address the housing shortage, there's been a big push for more apartments, townhouses and the like in our cities. More people living closer together. It's a new way of living, and what we what we need to do at the moment is look more closely at evolving the building code to keep up with these new multi-storey uh, developments, and we have seen that happening. So what are the current limitations with the building code? Uh, building code was developed in 1991, so it's already 30 years old, um, and it was... Uh, created in a different environment, we are more, and it's a slow thing to evolve, uh, so it's playing catch-up at the moment. Uh, and uh, we've seen one proposed change from MB, who administered the fire code. This brings us back to Phil Pennington's story and the fire safety changes withdrawn by MB. And that was about, you know, they made it quite overt. They were evolving the fire code, the fire section of the building code, to catch up with three-storey townhouses rather than the traditional two, for example. Now they've taken that away and they've said they're not going to do anything on that, they're not going to make those changes. We've still got the current systems in place, um, but the fire code is a very complicated animal. Uh, it's not as simple as saying do this or do that because it's an oft often a balance between 
if I put in a certain alarm system, then I don't need sprinklers uh, and all sorts of things like that. If I increase the fire resistance rating, you know, the degree to which fire can eat away at a wall, then I can reduce things in other areas. So it's a real complicated balancing system. Uh, and though I think the MB suggestions are good, really there's a lot of debate out about there about uh, the extent to which they can be practical and incorporated in ways that we're doing things now with new technologies. I think there's a tension between fire safety and cost because one of the reasons these changes didn't go ahead is because it was going to be so costly. How can we balance that tension? Yeah, and and this is the difficult thing. Um, it's uh, and in all sorts of areas. For example, um, the need to insulate and put heating in residential uh, tenancies. We saw landlords saying, "Oh, that." This is going to be too expensive. We're just not going to be landlords anymore. So it's a real balancing act there. Um, but I think at the moment, you know, with the Lopers Lodge tragedy, we might get a bit of political and social pressure behind this to actually get a bit of momentum to make some changes there. What needs to change? Well, we just need to, um, as MB have suggested, we need to kind of improve uh, our fire standards to meet the more dense living. Uh, but also we've got new technologies out there as well. And um, a lot of fire systems were actually connected into landlines and things like that. We don't have landlines anymore. So, you know, we, we really need to kind of keep pace with what's happening. What kind of new technologies are you talking about? What could we have that could be brand spanking new? Even in terms of alarm systems, there are a lot of um, new developments overseas that are improvements on the traditional ones that we have here. Um, alarm systems, they're a whole complicated ecosystem within themselves. We tend to think, oh, you smash that glass box that you see and push the button. But no, there are all sorts of different systems. Smoke detectors are evolving all sorts of things like that. Like anything specific, anything that you think would be good to bring into New Zealand? You know, this is, I don't think, particularly contentious, but there are one or two parties who tend to dominate the fire protection industry because we're such a small country. And the same way that we've got uh, a couple of uh, construction products suppliers who dominate the industry. And because they're in that dominant position, um, they're a little bit slow, I think, on importing new technologies and looking at new ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. So what more would you like to see? What's your wish list, shall we say that? <laughs> uh, I, I always say quality, quality, quality. And one thing that we need to remember here is the building code is a set of minimums. Uh, and most people treat it as uh, one, once you've ticked the box of the building code, that's well that's good. Um, but actually, we can do better. And we need to, as a society, focus more on better practice, best practice, that kind of approach to things. Are we just cheapskates in New Zealand? We are, I think. You know, we've, we've come through that, you know, we've had this kind of do-it-yourself, make good, she'll be right kind of attitude all the way through. And we can't afford to do that more with multi-storey residential buildings. So what does the government do with building and fire regulations from here? Phil Pennington again. The whole public attention on are our homes safe, whether you're um, transient in loafers or whether you're in a terraced home in Petone, that is now the question. 
The sprinklers thing, I think, will be sorted out, and it may be that the sprinkler situation is actually at the right point anyway, although you could imagine that for some of the short-term accommodation, transient accommodation, they will change the sprinkler thing. But the pressure is now on, and MB said to me at the weekend when I was asking about playing catch-up, one, they didn't say, yeah, there's going to be a delay. They don't want to talk about delays. They're saying if the consultation goes well this time, well, you know, they might be able to catch up. And they're also saying, you know, we are going to get some of this across the line that applies to infill housing. So the intention is there, and the industry has agreed, crucially, uh, Tom, the industry has agreed that fire protection needs to be better. I mean, this is what this says. It says fire protection has should be improved for New Zealanders, and it says we are have slipped behind comparative countries. Now, brands do that from research in 2021, but the ministry's own documents say, hey, we are behind here, and now we need to play catch-up with them, and we need to play catch-up with much more terrace and townhouses. So how behind are we? You heard Phil refer to Kevin Frank earlier in the podcast. He's a senior fire research engineer at the Building Research Association of New Zealand, or Brands. He's looked into how New Zealand stacks up against Australia, the US, the UK and Canada. Yeah, so the the focus of that study was on one specific aspect of fire safety, which was um, structural stability in a fire, So, and, and particularly for apartment buildings or residential buildings. So we were looking at structural stability of apartment buildings. So it's what is the risk of a building collapsing um, in the event of a severe fire? Just say, you wanted to say like a a headline about what you've learned here about how New Zealand stacks up with other countries. What would you say? so, so I would say when we compare ourselves to other countries, we're accepting a little bit more risk than other countries, but that may be okay. That's a decision we need to to decide on as a country. Surely if there's less fire risk, that's better, isn't it? It's safer? It's safer, but it comes at a cost. It's it's something we need to we need to decide on. So what are some of the things that other countries do better than New Zealand? Whether you call it better, uh, you know, it correlates to a lower fire risk, um, but limiting the use of combustible materials, increasing the use of sprinklers, you know, increased fire resistance rating. So it's, you know, making the, the structure of the building more robust so it will withstand a longer fire. So if you had your way, what change would you want to see in New Zealand building regulations, fire regulations? You know, when you do look at the way things are going around the world, and and we're getting better at putting systems into buildings. So, I mean, to me, sprinklering larger number of buildings makes sense. That's my personal opinion. Um, Other people may disagree with it. And I think we just need to be careful about how we introduce new things. One of the other issues with fire is that it can take a while for fire problems to manifest. You won't get a fire necessarily in the first 10 years after you build a building, but if you if you just go ahead and build a whole bunch of buildings and then all of a sudden you get a fire, then you realize there's a problem. That's when, you know, we, we're, we're in big problems. And Australia and the UK have been going through this with some of the combustible cladding problems where they've had some major fires and now they're realizing, well, wait, we've got a whole bunch of buildings 
that we built this way and now we need to go back and spend a whole bunch of money to remediate those buildings. So to me, it's we need to be responsible in how we roll out new ways of building things and develop some history of use so we understand how they perform and make sure we're comfortable with how they perform. So where to from here in the aftermath of what happened at Loafers Lodge? Here's Phil again. This is always a question about risk cost. Mm. How much risk is like with earthquakes? How much risk can you bear? How much do you want to spend to mitigate the risk before, you know, it's the same with fire. In the likes of the UK, Grenfell Tower, big moment. Even though this is a high-rise tower, it has had ripple effects, again, like loafers is beginning to have because people start questioning fire protection as a whole, where they live and sleep. Where you sleep is crucial. You can't smell smoke when you're asleep, right? So mm. you need these other protections. So Grenfell is the defining moment in the UK, getting tougher on all sorts of regulations, including sprinklers. Well, just can I pick you up on that? Is loafers a defining moment of improving fire protection in New Zealand? One senior firefighter said to me that he thinks it will be. I think that the sprinkler settings may be changed, as I said before, for this type of accommodation. But I think this will play out in a few months from now. There may be changes for short-term accommodation. But these things for infill housing, these were already underway. Um, it will make it easier. That The defining thing actually may be that more intense scrutiny about fire protection has now gotten even sharper, and that will help the ministry get these rules, these better protections for infill housing between one and three storeys over the line more easily. And Bill Mackay. I would like to think um, that this was a moment of change. Uh, and we know that kind of like uh, we get incremental improvements to the building code and various rules and things like that, but it takes a tragedy to get impetus both social and political behind change. Well, how do you feel like that? We have to have deaths like this for serious changes to be made. Well, you know, for example, we saw it with the gun laws you know, when we had the Christchurch tragedy. Yeah, but it's just sad, isn't it? It is, um, but we, we are just not the kind of society that values um, quality and innovation for the sake of it. You know, we're a little bit kind of like, why should I? rather than looking at the benefits. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Veal. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Phil Pennington, Bill Mackay and Kevin Frank. Ka kite anō.